still didn't turn it on. Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. We're starting a new series this morning uh, where we're going to walk through the life of David. This is not a a line-by-line series, but we do want to walk through David's life because there are a lot of things in here that I think are, are important for you and I to glean from even today. Before we dig into that, I want to remind you of one more thing. Um, We didn't get this out in the family news because it's one of those things that just kind of happened organically. And and that thing is that uh, small group signups, share group signups are out on the tables in the foyer this morning. Now, I know that doesn't give you a lot of warning, doesn't give you a lot of uh, opportunity to think about it, but uh, that's probably good. It's like the candy on the checkout aisle at the grocery store. So just do an impulse sign up. Um, but, but seriously, we've talked about this before. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Share groups are one of the ways that we interact with one another and we connect with one another on a deeper level. You don't get to know somebody staring at the back of their head uh, on Sunday morning, but you do get to know somebody sitting in their living room talking about Jesus. And that's what share groups are about. So take an opportunity. If you've never tried one, try one. If you tried one before and you didn't like it, try it again with somebody else. If, if you've tried it a couple times and, and it's still not working for you, well, well, give it one more shot. I mean, what can it hurt? Um, but, but we want you to be connected. We want you, we want to, uh, foster relationships in this church so that we're more than just a, a entertainment venue. We want to be a part of one another's lives. And that's what share groups are about. So try to take a moment when you get out there this morning, sign up, get connected with a group. Um, you will be glad that you did. As we enter into this series, We start out where we started out in about February of 2016. Do you remember what happened in February of 2016? The Iowa caucuses. You know what that is, right? Everybody remembers that? At that point, we started the process of selecting a leader. And it consumed our country for the better part of a year. Because there were caucuses and primaries and polls and, and you remember all that, right? Some of us are trying to blot it out. But, but we remember all that. Because in this country, we take choosing a leader very seriously. In this country, we don't do that lightly. We don't just draw straws. We don't just roll a dice. We don't take whoever's next in a birth order. We take it seriously. It is important to us because we want our leader to be someone who is reflective of our own beliefs, of, of, of who we are. And when we start in the story of David, that's where the nation of Israel is. The nation of Israel is in a place where they want a leader. They, 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 they have come and they have begged and begged and begged. The, the, the story starts many, many years before. Way back before we get to 1 Samuel and David. We're going all the way back to Judges. And if you read through the book of Judges, you will see a pattern. That, that the people do what's right in their own eyes, right? And, and when they do that, they enter a state of decline. 
And, and as they decline, they finally hit a place where, where they are at rock bottom and they cry out to God to give them a leader. And God gives them a leader who leads them, who saves them, who rescues them, who brings them back to a right relationship with God and everything is better. And then they go through a period of prosperity and as they get prosperous, they forget about God. And as they get healthier, they forget about God. And as they forget about God, they start to do what's right in their own eyes. And as they start to do what's right in their own eyes, they get deeper and deeper into a pit until they start to hit that place of decline. And they hit that place of decline until they hit rock bottom. And then they cry out to God to give them a leader. You see the cycle? That's Judges. It just keeps going over and over and over. And, and it's a cyclical cycle. A cyclical cycle. That's kind of, that's good, right? Um, finally, they hit this place where, where the, the, the mighty nation of Israel falls just about as far as it can. They're, they're, they're inferior now to many of the nations around them. Inferior in technology, inferior in, in military, inferior financially. They've declined until they've reached a point of danger where they are in jeopardy of losing everything that God has built. Danger encircles them in the forms of other nations. Um, and, and as Israel has wrestled with their faith and focused on their own pleasure and their own desires, they have been surpassed by the world around them. From the Aegean Islands, a warlike people had migrated to the coast of Palestine. And, and those people had established a, a nation on the coast. And, and the nation of Philistia, these Philistines established five city-states. And each city-state was ruled by a shrewd, ruthless, bloody prince. And... and they had a booming economy, the Philistines did. A booming economy because of their closeness to the sea, their ability to trade, and their technology. They had a monopoly on iron, which made them a formidable military force when everybody else was using wood and bronze. The iron made them almost unstoppable. The Philistine chariots would rule the plains. Because they, they had iron spikes that would cut down rows and rows of, of people as, as soldiers as they rolled into battle. And the only thing that kept the Israelites safe was the mountains between the Philistines. They couldn't roll their chariots into Israel. And so they would have to come on foot, but they kept encroaching. They kept getting closer. They kept wanting to take more and more land. The Philistine infantry was a forest of, of iron as their superior weapons flashed in the sun. The Israelites tried to defend themselves, but the, the Israelite weapons were things like slings and bows and assorted farm tools. It, it, it was not a fair fight. And even the world-famous Israelite arrows were in, in, unable to penetrate the Philistine armor. And so the decline gave way to despair, which gave way to danger. And they felt helpless. They felt lost. And they continued the cycle that we saw in Judges. They lost their faith in God. 
And, and finally, uh, well, you see it in Judges over and over again. And, and one of the, this is one of the passages, you can find it over and over. But, but in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the indictment of where Israel is when they come and beg God, beg Samuel for a king. They come to him and, and they gather together and, and they say, look... This is not working. You're the prophet of God, but you're getting old. Your sons are not you. They are not walking in the way that you have walked. And so we want a king. We look around us at all these other nations, and all these other nations are being successful. Why are they being successful? Well, it must be because they have a king, because that's what we don't have. And so they come to Samuel and they say, appoint us, appoint us a king. We want a king like the nations. We want to be like everybody else. The reason that we're in decline, the reason that we're struggling, the reason that we're failing is because we're not like everybody else. And if we just had a king, if we just had somebody who was the leader, the representative, the person to go out before us, then everything would be better. And so God gives them their king. His name was Saul, and he was everything that they hoped he would be. Saul stood a head taller than any man in Israel, the Bible tells us. He looked like a king. He was tall. He was strapping. He was good looking. He was manly. He was uh, uh, the kind of guy that you would pick if you're picking a king. He looked the part. But very quickly, Saul's heart turned ugly. Very quickly, he became paranoid. He became jealous. He, he became cruel and dictatorial. He started l turning away from God and, and seeking, seeking guidance from mediums and spirits. He started, started chasing after crazy things because his heart was corrupted. He was insecure, murderous, maybe even psychotic. He was everything they asked for. He was a king like the nation. Eventually, the word of God comes to Samuel, and God says, I've had enough of this. I've chosen my king. Okay? I let them have their shot. I gave them what they wanted. I gave them a king like the nations. Now I'm going to pick the king. It's not going to be the people's choice anymore. It's going to be God's choice. I'm going to look for a king that doesn't just look the part. I want a king that has a heart like mine. So when we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 15, if you have your Bibles this morning, God has rejected Saul as king and he's making a new plan. God tells Samuel at the beginning of chapter 15 to stop crying, stop mourning, get over the loss of Saul. We ain't got time for this. Forget about Saul and his failures. We're going to Babylon, uh, to Bethlehem. The new king of Israel is not going to come from the halls of power. He's not going to come from the, the, the prescribed lineage. He's not going to come from, from one of these tribes that you expect it to come from. He's going to come from Bethlehem. He's not going to be a prince or a public figure. He's going to be a little backwater town, backwoods boy from a backwater town in the middle of nowhere. And so Samuel gets to Bethlehem and God tells him to send for a man named Jesse. And he does. 
Jesse comes, because when the prophet of God says, come here, I want to sacrifice with you, you come. And so Jesse comes with his family, and they come to see what Samuel wants. So Jesse and, and his children appear before Samuel, and Samuel immediately thinks he's got this figured out. He knows what's up. He's done this before, right? He's anointed a king once. And so he gets there and all of Jesse and his sons show up. And the firstborn's name is Eliab. And Eliab is like Saul part two. Strong, good looking, uh, uh, regal almost. He looks like a king. And when he walks in, Samuel recognizes, this is what I picked last time. That's what this guy's supposed to look like. Surely the Lord's anointed stands before him. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, we get what may be the thesis statement for the life of David. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. As we go through this story, you're going to see that keep coming around. You know, one of the promos, the way that I've talked about this series, is is all of David's failures. How can a man who is a liar and a thief and a rapist and a murderer and adulterer still be called in the New Testament a man after God's own heart? One of the reasons for that is 1 Samuel 16, 7. God says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God says, I'm not looking for someone who is going to look the part this morning. I'm not looking for someone who is going to to be an outward king. I'm looking for someone who has the right heart. And so, as the seven sons parade in front of uh, Samuel, seven times Samuel's sure that this is the one. Sure. This has got to be him right here. Oh, well, not that guy. Well, it's got to be this one right here. Oh, not that guy. Well, it's got to be this one right here. Seven sons pass before him, and seven times God says no. And finally, they're out of sons. And Samuel's a little bit frustrated. He's a little bit worried. Because I just went through all these kids, and God said no every time. Are you sure this is all the kids you got? There's not anybody else? And Jesse kind of kicks the dirt sheepishly. Well, there's one more. But he's kind of weird. He's the runt. You know, he doesn't look like all these others. We didn't even bring him to the party because we didn't figure you had any desire for him. We left him out watching the sheep because that's really all he's good for. You don't understand, Samuel. This kid... He sits out there and plays his harp and sings to the sheep. He's weird. He, he sits out there and, and, and he writes poetry. That's the kind of boy we're talking about I got here. You don't want him. I got kings for you right here. Let's leave him out there with the sheep. Samuel says, I'm not sitting down until you bring him to me. 
So now, shift the scene, okay? David's out in the pasture, singing to the sheep, doing his job, keeping an eye on all the flock, minding his own business, just him and God like it's been for most of his life. And this servant comes running up, hollering his name. David! 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 I'm picturing him out of breath because he had to run a long way. David! David! That's just me and running. Um, there's, there's some kind of party. There's something going on at the house. And Samuel's there, and he won't sit down until you come. What? Come on, you got to come. Your daddy's going to kill me if I don't bring you back. This morning... There's many of you here who identify with David. You don't fit the mold. Maybe you come in and you look around you and you think, I, all these people have it all together. I don't look the part. I, I don't fit the stereotype. I don't fit in because I'm a little bit different. But... Maybe you feel unwanted. Maybe you feel unwelcome. Maybe you feel uninvited. That when all the other kids get invited to the party, you get left with the sheep. Maybe you feel like you're the the, the bottom of the barrel, the lowest of the low. Nobody cares about you. Nobody wants you. Nobody listens to you. You don't get invited. You're left out. I'm here to tell you this morning that you are exactly what God is looking for. You are exactly what God is looking for. When God is looking for a king, He's not looking for the one who fits the mold. He's not looking for the one who looks the part. He is looking for the one who has the heart of God. He's looking for the one who is chasing after the heart of God. God doesn't need movie star looks. God doesn't need politicians. God doesn't need the one who talks the best or who looks the best or who stands out as leader material. God is looking not as man looks. God doesn't choose based on on fame or skill or ability. He chooses on one simple criteria. Where is your heart? David is chosen because of his heart. This morning, I want to encourage you because you may be feeling that rejection. You may be feeling like you don't fit in. Maybe like David, you aren't invited to the party. But let me tell you, that may be because God is preparing you for bigger and better things. David's time of exclusion was about connecting him to God. When he was singing to the sheep, He was singing songs of praise to God. He was singing songs of prayer to God. We find those recorded in the Psalms. And if you want to see David's heart, read through those Psalms. Read through the Psalms of David and listen as he pours his heart out to his God. Because they have a special relationship. He sees God in everything. He sees God all around him. He he will say later in Psalm 78, verse 70, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepholds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, 
his inheritance. Where you are today may be about directing you to where God wants you to go tomorrow. Where you are today may have always been about preparing your heart for what God wants to do through you. You walk through the Psalms, Psalm 8-3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. Psalm 19-1, The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 29-9, The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. Now get this picture. Can't you see David lying on his back in the grass with the sheep grazing all around him, watching the clouds and the wind blow, and seeing God everywhere, and singing those songs to God? The heavens declare the glory of God. God, I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to be right here with these stinky, stupid sheep. Because you're here. Because I see God here. That sensitivity brought him to a special place with God. It brought him to a place that prepared his heart. Now, that wasn't the only thing. He isn't afraid of hard work. Raising sheep, shepherding sheep is not easy. Sheep are, are, are some of the dumbest animals in creation, right? Shepherding sheep is a difficult task. And, and he's got to make sure they're fed. He's got to make sure they're watered. They've got to be shown what food is good to eat and, and taken away from what food is not because they'll eat whatever you put in front of them. They, they have to be read, led to the right stream because some water is contaminated. It's not good for them to drink, but they'll drink it anyway. Um, they're skittish and afraid, and the least little thing will send them scurrying off and running off the edge of a cliff because they're scared. And so they need somebody who they trust. They need somebody who, who they connect with, and that's what the shepherd is. That trust is precious, and he makes sure he keeps their best interest at heart. He's got to spend all his time worrying about making sure these sheep get what they need. It's hard work. And it's very unrewarding. Sheep don't ever say thank you. Sheep don't ever come back and, and tell him what a good job he did. And, and they don't appreciate his efforts. No sooner have you, have you saved them from the wolf than they're jumping off in the stream over their head and getting swept away by the current. They're not real smart. They're frustrating and hard to manage. And they require the heart of a servant. That's the next way David's heart was prepared by this time. That servanthood brings him to a special place with God. It prepares him for service. And, and repeatedly, we're told that David would lay down his life for these sheep. That, that David would risk his life fighting bears or lions or, or, or marauders or, or, or whatever. And, and David's not looking for the shortcut. He's not looking for the easy way out. And, and in that time, it would be easy for him to become hard and cynical. It would be easy for him to become jealous of his brothers who obviously are not out here, who obviously are at the party. It would be easy for him to get angry and to focus on the wrongs that are committed against him, to focus on what he doesn't have. But he doesn't do that. What does he focus on? God. We call that integrity. When nobody's looking and you're still doing the right thing. That's another way David's heart was prepared. David's time in the field attuned his heart to God. 
That's what he was there for. It taught him the way of servanthood. It, it taught him the true value of integrity. It made his heart sensitive to the voice of God. And this morning, God is calling to you. Regardless of where you are, David's story is my story. David's story is your story. God's not looking for the one who looks the part. He's looking for the one who has the right heart. God is looking for us this morning. God is calling to us this morning. And He's saying, look, Jeff, I don't care that you show up to church in a sport coat. Jeff, I don't care whether you're wearing a tie. That's not what's important to me. What's important is where your heart is. I want you to love me. I want you to focus on me. I want you to be serving me. Not serving the church, not serving your checklist, not serving your pew, not doing uh, some kind of work because of some kind of personal gratification or duty. I want your heart. I want you to fall so crazy in love with God that, that you do all those things because you don't have any other choice. God says, I don't care if you look the part. I care about what's in your heart. Where's your heart at this morning? Is it time for us this morning to take that step? To strip off all the nonsense and all of our churchianity and just come to God? And say, I just want to lay myself bare at your feet. I just want to cry out to God, here's my heart. I want to cry out like David cried out, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Change me. Help me, Lord, to quit worrying about what it looks like and to worry about what's in here. This morning, we can hold on like Saul. We can hold on to our power, to our reputation, to our whatever. Or we can let it all go and open up our heart. How will you come to God this morning? Just like David, you're being called to the anointing. You're being called. Even you. Come to the party. God's waiting for you. Won't you come right now while together we stand and sing? Create in 